When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi everyone and welcome to Pixels, a podcast for the discerning gamer. Hello everyone and welcome to Pixels, a bi-monthly show. Well, actually bi-weekly. Weekly. I don't know if it's if bi-weekly means twice a week or twice every two weeks. I think in English it means both. It does mean both. It's very confusing. It's, uh, you English are so annoying. I bet you do it just to annoy me. I think so, yeah. I think most of the English language is designed specifically <laughs> to irritate the French. Hey, Matt. Uh, Matt Lees is here with us on this show. I'm very glad to have him back. How's it going? Pleasure to be here. It's going pretty well. Going pretty well. Bank holiday Monday, so I'm having a nice time, relaxing, chilling out, etc. It's lovely. Wait, are you saying that May the 4th is a bank holiday in the UK in the honor of our Jedi overlords? It is. It's weird, I know. Most of our bank holidays are to do with old dead people or the Queen. <laughs> But uh, in this case, it's specifically to do with Jedi. You know what? I um, it, it is May the 4th when we're recording this. And I went ahead and did uh, the traditional thing of tweeting a May the 4th be with you with a picture of uh, Spock, of course, one of the main <laughs> oh, characters. Right, yeah. in, Always uh, goes down well. Yeah, the, the one person actually thought I was being serious. So I went ahead and uh, corrected myself tweeting a picture of the Stargate uh, to, you know, Do the right thing with <laughs> that was funny uh and you were telling me that you ordered star wars stuff and uh, we went into a discussion about the new trailer and apparently i'm going to lower my voice for just a little bit here because you and i both are not star wars not and i i don't think we should advertise the fact that fact too uh widely but we're, we're not Star Wars nut, and we're excited about the, the new movie. Well, I guess the new trailer. Yeah, I, I've always really liked Star Wars, but I'm not as like, um, I think a lot of people who are really, really into Star Wars kind of treat the, the original kind of three films as being kind of uh, transcendent. You know, it's like, oh, the canon is so important. Well, actually, I just really like the universe. I like the, uh, the style and tone. I used to like a lot of the unofficial books. And I like a lot of the unofficial games, but I've never been like, viciously into it i've never been like this right. is has to be right etc <laughs> and i mean it's, yeah it's it's interesting though because yeah i'm in that boat i'm i'm kind of yeah star wars it's cool i of course it's a big part of my childhood but it's not like i, I would you know strangle someone if they they said that Han shot second, for example. You know, I'm not that. Obviously, he shot first, but, you know. Um, and that trailer, seeing Han and, and Chewie at, in the last scene, it really worked on me. I'm now yeah. like, yeah. yeah. 
I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really up for it, you know, I'm, but I'm also just going into it with really tempered expectations. Uh, I've seen, you know, what J.J. Abrams have done with Star Trek. And actually, you know, the first one I really enjoyed. I thought it was a really fun family romp. And based on that, I was like, yeah, this was kind of like Star Wars in a way. I think a lot of people might get annoyed with it if it is a kind of fun family romp. But that's what the original Star Wars films were. So I don't mm. know. I think a lot of people aren't going to be pleased regardless. But frankly... I think it's going to be fun, and I'm. I mean, I think the thing to remember is it can't be worse than the last lot. <laughs> that is exactly what I. And we'll get to video games in a second. Just yeah. <laughs> chill, okay? It's May the fourth. We're allowed to, you know, discuss Star Wars just for a little bit. Um, but when Disney bought Lucasfilm, everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of people went, you know, thought that they were going to ruin the franchise. And my immediate reaction was, did you see the, the second trilogy? Yeah. How can they do any worse? They can't. It's automatically going to be an improvement. Yeah, absolutely. It's like people say, but what if they ruined Star Wars? It's like, guys... Star Wars has been ruined for ages. <laughs> like, it's it's been broken, and it's you know I'm looking forward to it. As, yeah. as long as there's nothing as bad as Jar Jar Binks in it, um, oh. I'm I'll be happy. I'll sleep at night, you know. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Not murdering uh, our childhood is probably a good place to start, and that's where <laughs> they're going. So, um, I would also love to talk about you know the Avengers movie and uh, how I went on a on a rampage this weekend. I watched Avengers 2 twice, even though I didn't love it. And I went I went back and watched Thor and Captain America and Guardians of the Galaxy, and I watched all of them. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm a huge... You know, I'm really on that boat that people... It's incredibly, amazingly mind-blowing that we have this thing now, that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a thing. Uh, that we have all of those movies that play into one another and, you know, that create this entire uh, uh, lore of comic books, which and I, I wasn't a huge Marvel nerd in, you know, after my teens. Mm. Um, but now, you know, the, the fact that this exists is it's kind of like it, it means, you know, we keep saying I tweeted about this a while ago and. Everyone keeps saying, you know, in the end, geeks might be a little bit uh, uh, bullied in high school and such. But in the end, you're the one who wins, right? You're you're the one yeah. who 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 gets uh, the the cool job, and and while the jock ends up being working at a, a, a gas station or something. This is the thing, you know. I, I've actually been talking to a friend of mine about this recently, and we talk about it. And a lot of people, um, there's still this attitude sometimes of being like, oh, you know sympathizing with people who are young and having a bad time now because they're geeky and people being like, mm. oh, you know, it's, it's terrible that people give you a hard time. And it's like, well, actually, no, like instead of like constantly feeling sorry for people who are, who are geeky and young, it's like, look at yourself now. Would you change anything? It's like, yeah, things were a bit rougher when we were younger, but the whole world is shaped for us now. It's yeah, amazing. Exactly. Like I wouldn't it's change like anything. Like if you could go back in time and make it so that you didn't have a bad time whilst you were a teenager, but then you don't have any appreciation for all of this stuff that now is amazing. Would you do yeah. that? And it's like, no, hell no. I'll go back not. and get beaten up again. This this is awesome. Like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I even think it goes beyond that. You know, it's it's a culturally, societally, like 
what are the big icons now? It's computers and and Silicon Valley and Walking Dead is the biggest thing on TV and Daredevil makes millions and Game of Thrones, which is essentially Dungeons and Dragons, is also one of the biggest things. And Marvel, they had like... Avengers 2 is the second or third biggest opening ever. It's it's basically geek culture. It's not that it wins out in the end. It has won. We won. That's it. Our generation has done its job. Now we we have won. Our culture is dominant. We are the kings of west the western society. And I think the next step is basically starting to grumble about what the next generation is going to do when thinking it's not as good as as what we did. That's going to be pretty uh, much it, isn't it? Going, oh, they're making films about that comic series. It's not as good as it was when... But I'm actually amazed by the Marvel stuff, mainly because you look at the way that marketing has had a control over that sort of sphere in Hollywood for a long time. The fact that now we've got like... Uh, you know, superhero films about characters that aren't even, like, well-known. Like, I, I'm not a Marvel dude, right? And I didn't even really know who Ultron was until I saw, mm. like, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. The fact they're actually making films now, not just about the big ones, the big superheroes, the big villains, but they're actually like, hey, we're going to put in these villains that people haven't heard about unless they read the comics. It's like, that's crazy, but brilliant. Yeah. It's really cool. It's it's really amazing, and it all comes down to excellent writing and and the fact that they know and love their material and i think the next big thing is going to be hopefully uh movies about video games that actually work i mean they managed to make it after decades of it being ridiculous people in spandex and not being taken seriously now we have the technology to take it seriously and i think video games uh Possibly Warcraft might start this trend. Yeah, I'm excited um, about that just because um, uh, Man Made Moon, I always forget his real name. Man Made Moon, Zowie Bowie, but then he's actually yeah. got a real name. Duncan uh, Jones. <laughs> Duncan Jones, that's it. And all of his other names. Uh, yeah, I think he's a fantastic director. Um, mm. I love all of his movies. So I'm, re- And I know he's really big into his games. He's a massive XCOM fan, as am I. Um, so I'm really excited to see what he does with Warcraft just because I'm, I'm like so far... Uh, lapsed from World of Warcraft. It's just like it's um, it's like been a decade since I've played. So I'm I'm out of that. But I've still got a lot of love for the universe, and I think I really hope that the film is uh, good or passable at best because I'd love to watch it. Well, the reason that I have hope is that both him and his director of photography were actually huge Warcraft players. Uh, he was saying um, that when he was shooting, I can't remember if it was Moon of, or Source Code. Um, he was. After his day, he would go back into his trailer and play, go raiding with his guild for half the night. Um, so he's really into it and he has a huge amount of respect for the source material. And at the same time, he doesn't have so much uh, reverence for it that he's going to not be willing to transform it and not be willing to do what must be done in order to make it into an actual film, which is a different medium, obviously. And there's so much great stuff. I mean, I remember playing Warcraft 3 and just being blown away by the... The, the wealth of stuff that's there, it's got some really, really good traditional yeah. kind of stories in there. So I'm sure I'll be able to whip it up in something good. Fingers I'm crossed. Hoping it's, yeah, I'm hoping it's going to start a, a, a trend where they, we can have what we do have for comics now with what Marvel does. I'm a little bit more iffy on what DC does, but DC does. Uh, but hopefully it starts with making at least serious and well thought out movies for for video games and bringing that into a little bit more of a public consciousness as well fingers crossed 
It's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. You know what else is tricky? That's a masterful uh, transition I'm doing here. <laughs> Selling mods to players when they've been free for a long time. Yeah. Valve tried its hand at it. And I think in, in something very rare for, for Valve, uh, basically got completely smashed by the community. Mm. I think everyone's heard of this, so I'm going to go over it very quickly for people who, who were in a cave somewhere for the past 10 days. But basically, about 10 days ago, Valve uh, tried to put up a new system for people who are creating mods uh, on for Skyrim uh, to be able to sell them. And uh, this didn't go over well at all. Uh, the, the community on uh, Steam itself and on Reddit and on 4chan um, started expressing their discontent very vociferously. Um, the, uh, there were a couple of issues. I think the two main issues were that, uh, first of all, people weren't happy about the amount of... Um, the percentage that mod creators was getting, uh, we learned later that Steam takes 30% of the amount uh, of money you pay for the mod. You you would have paid for the mod. Uh, and then the rest is um, is let uh, the the developer is allowed to set how much money goes to them and how much money goes to the mod developer. In this case, it was 30% for Valve, 45% for Bethesda and 25% for the mod creator, which seemed very stingy. And I have to agree with this. It was a, it seems like the mod creator who really did a, a huge amount, well, all of the work, except for, of course, Bethesda developing the game, making it success, successful and introducing the capability for it to be modded. After that, they don't really do much. So taking 45% of the money seemed very greedy. Still, um, it was that, that's the way it was going to work. And the other thing that people were pissed about was the fact that mods would uh, change and the ecosystem, the, the uh, community would change solely based on the fact that now mods would become a for-pay uh, venture as opposed to a completely passion-filled and fueled uh, venture. Yeah. So, which, I mean, I, I'm going <coughs> to... I'm sorry. I'm going to wait a little bit and let, let you uh, tell us what you think about the whole story. And I have strong opinions on this, but... Sure, uh, sure. Ahead. I mean, it's really complicated, isn't it? I, I think the, the 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 long and short of it is they shouldn't have rushed into it. And mm. they clearly had spent a bit of time preparing in terms of, I think, Valve had reached out with Bethesda maybe to a handful of modders um, about, you know, being like the first wave of people to be using this service. Um, but still, it kind of felt like they needed to have been talking about this for a long time, not just kind of announcing it, going, oh, hey, this is happening now, because it had so many connotations and so much impact on a variety of levels that it was just an absolute mess. Um, I don't know. It's it's incredibly complicated because I can see all of the different angles for it, and I don't really think there are any easy answers here, and that's why the only thing they could have done was take it a lot more slowly and have these conversations on a much more open basis over a period of maybe like 
a year at the minimum um, <laughs> before launching it. Because I can see all the different sides. I think, yeah, it's like 25% as a creator is stingy. And yeah, I agree that like, you know, creators of the original software taking a massive cut of all of these things when really they're not really working on the product anymore is a bit cheeky. On the other hand, I kind of understand it. If you've got a situation where the people who work for Bethesda, who work on you know Skyrim, are making these assets and making these things for the games, and then finding out that as soon as the game comes out, um, kids in bedrooms who are making stuff of arguably maybe not even as good a quality are then making like more money than they do in their salary working at Bethesda. It creates a really weird situation in terms of having more better royalties for community people making content than you actually have for the people who work for your studio i can understand that it's like it's not something that people want to hear sometimes but it creates a very difficult situation and i don't think it could push them in a situation where people start quitting bethesda so they can go and make <laughs> mods for bethesda games and make more money which i'm not saying that's bad but i understand how as a business that puts them in a precarious situation i guess yeah that's oh sorry no, Karen, go, go. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, I didn't really see it as, you know, people, well, I don't think the people who are working at Bethesda are going to be making a lot of money from the mods quite, you know, obviously it's not quite that way uh, that it works because Bethesda is going to be taking the money. And oh, no, no, think, of course, of obviously. course. Um, but I just yeah, meant people, in relation to the money that they made from making the game in the first place. Right. Yeah, yeah, of course. And well, so I would have said I would have liked for Bethesda to say mod creators take 51% just out of principle. You know, they, they need to get the majority of the money. And I think it would have gone over better uh, with the community. But I understand that Bethesda is like, well, without us, this thing wouldn't exist. Yeah, so it's, it's tricky. It's it's kind of like the conversation that we've been having around Nintendo and uh, YouTubers. Uh, how, well, you're a YouTuber yourself and Nintendo taking 30% of the money that's left after YouTube has already gotten its cut. If you register for the creators program and you also use games that are not on their blacklist... It seems like it's somewhat a similar situation. And generally, people have been a, a little bit negative about Nintendo doing that, um, even though it's their right. That's the thing is but, they have. But I'm not sure how fair that is, you see. Because a lot of people have basically said about Nintendo, and I agree with this. A lot of people said that Nintendo's stance is, well, that's difficult. There are very much two sides to this as well. And the fact that some people say that Nintendo trying to take a cut of um, people using their games for Let's Plays as entertainment, um, they say that that is using... Um, it's, it's, it basically, people say that they are unaware. It shows that they that an, a kind of a sense of naivety that Nintendo don't understand the YouTube um, market and the nature of YouTube. And it, some people have said that, you know, that's what that reflects, that them going, oh, they just don't understand that this is the way things are now. Whereas I think you can, I mean, this is main, it's a combination of what I feel and Devil's Advocate, but I think also you could say that actually it shows they do have an understanding of it and they do understand because one of the things people don't often understand is that you have certain games which YouTubers play and let YouTubers do Let's Plays of, which are open-ended and games where you can very much do your own thing and, you know, things like Minecraft, things that are creative or things that are just fun and different each time. Those are the sorts of games that people will watch YouTubers playing them and then they'll go, you know, I'm going to go and buy that game. However, like in some cases, when things are a little bit more linear, a little bit more of a kind of experience that you just roll through, as many Nintendo games are, 
often those these you know they do lead to exposure they do lead to more people seeing the game but they don't necessarily lead to like massive spikes in sales like that only actually works with certain types of games and I so don't I, know I think I think in the case of Nintendo they would benefit from the from the publicity they um, would they would for being exposed but yeah but it's an interesting thing because yeah. I think that sometimes people um, you know, it's easy to go, oh, well, I'm giving you exposure, I'm giving you exposure. And I think, yeah, that's yeah. that's true. That's definitely true. But at the same time, you can say that in a way, like, Let's Plays become quite transformative. And they're no longer really about the game. They're more about just the personality of the people. That's and in the a way, yeah. it's basically like if you're using somebody else's product as a, like, as a canvas for you to then do your own thing and have your own... Um, personality and put your own thing into it in a way like you're kind of stepping in towards like copyright laws there and copyright issues you know because it's like it's transformative yes but what are you actually using it for like i don't know it's an interesting thing it's like in the same way that you know like you, mystery science theater or whatever you know a lot of way that got away with all that stuff is because the films are really old and the licenses and rights weren't very expensive or whatever but if i was to start doing a series which was me watching films and just putting whole films on youtube and talk talking <laughs> over them and being like making jokes and stuff, then I think that, yeah, arguably I'd be like, this is transformative. I've turned it into something else. It's a different form of entertainment. But then, you know, at the same right, I think the people who own the films would have the rights to say, well, yeah, but like you're just using our stuff as a springboard for your own personal wealth. And we'd that's, like a cut of that. So it's it's tricky. That's that's a very good comparison, actually. The, the idea that you would put up a movie and talk over it and be funny uh, at the same time. I really don't think any uh, people would have the same reaction to that. Um, I basically meaning, I think most people would understand that the copyright holder would want a cut of that uh, money. And really, it's not that different from what is happening with Let's Plays. I don't think um, it is that different, no. Because yeah. the thing is, you, you, with some games, it is very much a case of, you know, look, this is what I'm doing. Like Minecraft's a great example. Yeah, this is what I'm doing in this really open, creative environment. People see it and then people will go, yeah. They're not going to like watch me play Minecraft and then go, oh, mm. I never need to play Minecraft now because I've watched him playing it. They're going to want to go and build something themselves. And I don't think that's true with a lot of types of games. I think a lot of people watch Let's Play of games instead of playing that game. And uh, I wouldn't go that far. You'd but... be surprised. I honestly think with a lot of younger people, it comes down to uh, like, um, it's different for us, you see. You know, we're older, we have more disposable income. But I think when kids can't afford lots of games, sometimes they just watch them. Honestly, uh, this maybe, is a yeah. kind of a it's thing. It's possible. That and, and, and we we can start, you know, berating the kids, the next generation, as we were saying earlier. <laughs> ah, they don't no, even play the games anymore. They just watch them on YouTube. I get it. You Back know, in my day, it's, I used it's, to play the games. <laughs> if they haven't got the money, it's fine. I'd probably yeah. do the same thing. Yeah. I just think it's, it's a tricky thing of being like, well, it's very easy for people to go, well, I'm giving you exposure. But it's, you know, that's an argument which gets yeah. used in lots a of bit too much, conversations yeah. about creativity and about license and about people getting what is earned. And usually when people say, oh, yeah, but I'm giving you exposure, usually it means you're getting a bad deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a rule of thumb. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just think that the way everybody rallied against that and went, oh, Nintendo don't get it. I kind of think, well, actually, maybe they do get it. Maybe they get that you've got a bunch of kind of often these man children who are children's TV presenters, basically, just rambling over stuff. And they're kind of going, well, actually, you know, if you want to use our stuff for that, if you want to use our content in the background for what you're doing, then you kind of have to pay us for it. And I don't think, I think, yeah, maybe that's harsh and maybe some people don't like that, but I don't think it's insane and I don't think it's necessarily naive either. 
Well, I still think that ultimately they would benefit from having more exposure in that case. But I guess this is definitely up for, for debate. Absolutely. Um, but so going back to the mods, uh, they I think the hope, the dream, and yes, of course, by the way, Steam pulled the plug uh, out on this, but... There is, in 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 my opinion, they they were a little bit hasty in all of this, and I think possibly um, Bethesda encouraged them to pull the plug because in those three days, the user rating on Skyrim went from ninety eight percent to ninety two percent. Absolutely, in and I three mean, days. That is a massive thing for them. Yeah, because and that was, means that when they release the next, like. Elder Scrolls game in like however many years in their big marketing trailers for the next game they can't say the sequel to the yeah. you know second best rated game on Steam ever you know mm. that's that's massive that's lost the millions probably so and, yeah and the thing is there was a huge potential because ultimately it's not just about who gets what money but even though that counts but the idea I think behind that move was that mods would get uh, more of a professional uh environment and people could actually live off the mods they would be doing not just so that they could be doing the same mods but also maybe to increase the overall quality of mods in in general and and that you would get mods that would be a lot better designed better developed and better maintained and there are a bunch of uh, caveats to the ecosystem that would create with who uses what and uh, who owns what and if a mod uses another mod then who gets the money for what and which mod gets uh, uh, surfaced and how you there I mean if the app store and app stores in general are any indication then it there is a huge amount of issues that come with that kind of, kind oh, of curation yeah. it's super messy but isn't it? but the promise of creating money out of almost thin air for those people who are incredibly dedicated, I yeah. think there would have been a way of doing that that would have worked. And yes, they rushed into it. They should have floated the idea uh, before and see how people would have reacted for sure. But I also think that the way they pulled the plug was in in a way reminiscent of how... Uh, Microsoft pulled the plug uh, on the idea of um, digitized content and linked content to your yeah. account on Xbox yeah. One, because there was also a huge amount of promise behind the, this, yeah. the idea that you would be able to share your games and that you would be able to sell your digitally purchased games, which now you can't. Uh, we've talked about this a, a we lot. We did. But I think, yeah, we may have talked about this last time. I can't remember. But I think, again, that's another example of something that really putting the plug on that was very dumb. Because now the Xbox has nothing for it that's, that's like, yeah. different. And now it was badly received at the time. But I think with time people's come around to it, the Xbox One might have had, like, a bit more going for it now than it does. It's just sort of this very bland box that doesn't really do anything. Mm. And um, that's yeah. And that's... Exactly what, well, in the case of uh, Valve, I think it was, it represented so little of their, of their uh, bottom line that they just said, all right, F it, whatever, we don't want to have to worry about this. Yeah. But it could have been something interesting. They could have maybe I think they're going to come back with uh, donations and maybe the option for people to say, pay whatever you want. And Valve takes a certain amount and, you know, hopefully the developer takes, I mean, the publisher takes a little bit less than what Bethesda has been taking, but an option to give money 
to all of those people because now again we are back to the and uh, you know a lot of people were saying just give us the possibility to to make donations and that will be fine yeah we will be happy with that so you know i think this would have been a lot less of an issue if it happened maybe three years ago two or three years ago just because at the moment like there's so much worry and distrust around steam in general in terms of the fact that it, it does feel very much like well it is it's become less of a curated marketplace now and they've set up systems for curation within it but they've basically just now turned it into a shop where you can buy anything and sell anything within reason you know like but it, now the number of games appearing on Valve on, a con on Steam on a constant basis is just crazy. You cannot keep up with it. It's impossible. And I think people having seen that and now seeing this stuff about mods and the way that mods are going to work, everybody just immediately goes, oh, God, it's going to get flooded with crap and it's going to get flooded with shysters and it's going to get flooded with people just trying to make a quick buck off of maybe somebody else's stuff. And, I mean, mm. the legal problems that come into it as well, a lot of people don't realize, and it's, it's lovely, and I completely agree with you. I think it'd be amazing if we can sort out a system so that the modding community can actually be rewarded for their, for their work in a way which is meaningful, in a way which allows them to continue doing stuff. But the difficulty with all of this stuff is as soon as you start introducing money to an equation, it adds huge complications. Just the fact that lots of mods are based on other mods. It's like, well, who gets the money for that? Right. Like, you know, it's mods have come from a background of almost open source. You know, it's all been about like sharing code, collaborating to then add money into it. It's like, yeah. well, and it, that's what a lot of people were defending. They it, like they wanted to defend the spirit of openness of the mod culture, which I understand, but. Yeah, I, I don't think that's necessarily like, I like the spirit of it and I think that should continue. But at the same time, I think sometimes people make incredible things and it would be great to be able to reward them for that. It's just how to do that. And it's difficult, I think, with Skyrim. Again, I think this would have been solved if they'd had a bit more control over exactly how they started this off. You know, you look at a game like Dota 2, which has a really kind of strong focus on modding uh, in terms of people making um, like cosmetic items. So it's not, like modding in terms of making expansions and making new characters and making new maps. It's just, it's very, it's very aesthetic based. But because of that, it's very simple. And it's like, you know, you make something that looks beautiful as a set of armor. And then if it gets voted highly enough or whatever, like, you know, Valve will include it and they'll sell it and then you'll get some money for the items. But because it's quite simple like that, there's no element of like, there's no space for shysters, you know? And actually, mm. because you're selling a simple product here, it doesn't matter if you have people entering this scene purely because they want to make money. If they're making beautiful things that people want to buy, then that's fine, that's legitimate. But with something like Skyrim, where you could be selling, like, anything, really, like a little adventure, there is more of an opportunity for, for people to be missold stuff or sold things which aren't quite sure. right. And if they'd done but this, like, a bit more closed and they'd been, like, they'd launched it with a big, like, a big mod that was specifically made from scratch to be sold then that would have been awesome. But currently just putting it as like, hey, anyone can sell anything now. It's just like, it's destined to be a mess from day yeah. one. I think there was also a little bit of a irrational level reaction from the community in the sense that for the past two or three years, you were talking about Steam. I think it goes even beyond that. A lot of things have become uh, monetized, you know, in the sense that, DLC have gone far DLCs have gone farther and farther in-game content you know uh, is more and more um present for sale uh, for sale uh microtransactions are everywhere and i think there was a little bit of a reaction ultimately of that community saying no you will not get this this is ours you just just fine just get everything else whatever this you do not get 
This is ours. Just leave it alone. Just get out. Just get the f out. This yeah. is ours. No, I, you know, I, I, think I can see that. And it's, I think, I think you're right. And I think it's actually endemic of like a wider issue we have at the moment. And the fact that we have companies really struggling to work out a way to continue to make money on AAA in the way they used to. Because people used to have more disposable income. They used to be more amenable to buying more games. Um, whereas now it's not just that people have less money to spend on games. It's that so many games are released are released with the intention of now being these long tail products, not being something that you play and you finish and you, they don't follow the, the model of films anymore of being like you buy this entertainment, you consume this entertainment and you're done with it. They don't want you to trade stuff in. They want you to keep stuff. They want you to keep supporting something. And so, so many games are just huge or indefinite. You know, some of my favorite games recently, you know, like Hearthstone is very much like that. Destiny, um, Monster <laughs> Hunter. I mean, that's actually Monster Hunter is not trying to get money out of you because it keeps giving me tons of free DLC, which is awesome. But so many things now are the made to be big, substantial products. And the only, the problem is like people can't fund this level of AAA development anymore. It's too expensive to keep up with current hardware. So the way you do it is you have to have a game that you sell someone 40 quid, but then you have fans of that game who will keep giving you drips of money over a long period of time. So you basically, instead of having just people who buy it, you need to have super fans who are willing to, over a period of maybe a year and a half, two years, spend about £100 on your game, which I don't think is a completely insane thing to do. But Me the problem neither. is, it Me now neither, means yeah. people can only have one game. And I think the difficulty is, is that is a luxury that some people can't afford, you know? And I think when people can go on to Steam and they can buy Skyrim for a fiver, and then they can mod the hell out of it and just create this infinite game for themselves for like two or three quid, five quid, for a lot of people... That is a big thing. And also you have to bear in mind that a lot of the PC community are not, um, you know, who we traditionally perceive to be as Western gamers. It's not always just America and Europe. We've got a lot of East Europe, a lot of like Russia, you know, a lot of a lot of gamers who are from much poorer backgrounds, you know. And that's well, I think the people throwing, I think the people throwing a fit at Steam were were us, meaning, you know, Western rich Western Europe, but Western world, you know. But I don't know. Maybe Possibly, yeah. Maybe, but I don't know. But, it's uh, it's complex. And I think you're right, though. I think the problem is, we've seen in the past that there have been a handful of people who've made money off mods. And my God, they've made a lot of money. You know, yeah. <laughs> Gary's mod, you've got like, I can't remember. Well, there's a few people who came out and who said, you know, successful modders who said, yeah, let's let's do this. We can yeah, have more people who can live off of it. Anyway, all right. We we could talk about this forever. And we're going to mention something about the uh, DLC policy with uh, Arkham Knight in a little bit here. Um, but yeah, the, ultimately, I think it's a missed opportunity. I hope we see it come back in a way that is optional for people to pay something. And as both Matt and I know, um, it can work sometimes. Yeah. And we're both funded by voluntary donations on Patreon. Uh, and we're making a living out of it. So That's it. I think it's such a great system. And I think that, you know, why not? Like, instead of having people who just release these massive epic mods and then make loads of money from it, we should be able to have a situation where people can just be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to make awesome weapons for Skyrim. And I'm going to charge like, 20 50p for each one or something and mm. if you like it you can buy it i think yeah. that there's nothing wrong with that because the old system used to be that like hey you'd mod you'd mod you'd mod maybe if you're amazing you get hired by a studio but it doesn't have to be like that some people maybe wouldn't suit working in the studio some people are just really good at making swords that look awesome so why shouldn't they just <laughs> be able to do that you know 
Yeah, I agree. So there has to be a better way. There does. I just think it's a shame they walked into it. And actually one of the biggest yeah. shames and something that isn't talked about a lot is I think it's a real shame that in doing this, um, both Valve and Bethesda kind of left these modders out to dry, you know, left them kind of hanging because suddenly these guys were under like they were getting attacked as if they'd like sold out to the man and they'd fucked up. And, you know, to be mm. individuals under that kind of attack um, from such a sustained huge amounts of people, that must have been incredibly hard for these people. And Agreed. to be unsupported in a situation where basically all you've really done is had some people reach out to you with an olive branch saying, hey, we think your mods are great. Do you want to help us launch this program? You know, imagine how excited you'd be if you were just a, a modder hobbyist to be, have the opportunity to do that. Um, and then to find yourself in this situation without any support from like, you know, companies around you to be like looking after you. I think that's really harsh. And I really hope that like, I don't know, there's nothing that can be done about that really, but it's a real shame. Yeah, agreed. Uh, another thing that's a real shame, another masterful transition, <laughs> is the loss of Silent Hills. That was kind of, you know, it was pending. We knew it was going to, uh, we were worried about Silent Hills. But again, um, the SPAT, not even the SPAT, but uh, Konami uh, and Hideo Kojima announced that they were parting ways a while ago, uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, Hideo Kojima was working on Silent Hills along with uh, what's his face director. Um, oh, God, I can't remember. Uh, not Benicio del Toro. That's <laughs> no, uh, it's uh, oh, the guy does Pan's Labyrinth. He's, yes, uh, Guillermo, Guillermo, del Toro. Yeah. Guillermo del Toro. You say it a lot better than I do. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so it it basically happened over. I want to say the weekend. Um, and again, I I don't know if you guys, uh, if listeners will remember, but. When I usually mention that when something's hap something happens on a Friday, um, it's take out the trash day, and it means that you're you don't want anyone to talk about this. Mm. You want to minimize the visibility of this as much as possible. In this case, I think it was a Friday, Saturday, and then confirmed on um, on Sunday. Uh, Silent Hills is cancelled as well, and basically what that brings beyond. The um, the the question for Silent Hills, which we're probably not going to see, and apparently Guillermo del Toro burns everything he touches in the video game industry. Um, <laughs> it uh, Konami was also delisted from uh, the New York Stock Exchange. Mm. Uh, there, it's going to be effective in July. Um, it's the question of the future of Konami, and I'm really worried that. Uh, they are going to be uh, uh, stopping their activity in the video game world. I I'm wondering if they aren't going to focus on their... I think they have like um, fitness centers and things like that in, in uh, Japan. And I'm wondering if they're not just going to go out of the, of the video game market completely. You know, I think that that is actually looking like a real possibility. And I think you need to... It's one of these things where none of these things happen in vacuums. And lots of people said, oh, Kojima's leaving. Oh, now it's been cancelled. And people are kind of looking at it maybe in too much of a short-term view of being like, oh, well, they're cancelling it because Kojima's left and Kojima was going to be heading it up. So now he's not. They're cancelling it. And it's like, no, this is probably a lot bigger than that. And actually, the reason that Kojima left and the reason it got cancelled are part of it. But maybe even the reason that it got announced in the first place is a part of it. 
And really, you look at Konami and where Konami have been for a little while. You know, what, what have they been making their money off recently? Pro Evolution Soccer was huge, like, a while ago. But FIFA took back the crown. And Pez has come back and still been quite good in recent years. It's been getting better. But it's still, like, it's never been making the money that it was. What else have you got? You know, you had them saying that Metal Gear Solid's... Um, Four was going to be the last Metal Gear Solid, and now well, we they have... said that for the for the past. Well, basically all of them, but yeah, that's true. They always say that, but with this case, it's like you know we're doing another one, we're doing another one. But they seem to be really, really heavily investing in the Phantom Pain, like in, t in terms of the tech, Fox Engine. So they invested really heavily in Metal Gear Solid Five and in presumably in then also doing Silent Hill. So basically, what we're looking at here is them. Um, pouring a lot of money into their two, like, their kind of classic, their two biggest IPs in a way, that were in the hope of, like, rekindling that love for their two biggest kind of, not forgotten, but less used IPs. And they also invested a lot of money, I presume, in um, Castlevania Laws of Shadows 2, which, unfortunately, I haven't even had a chance to play it because it got such dud reviews that I just didn't bother. And you know what? That first game was incredible. And I think that, Internally, Konami probably had very high expectations for the sequel, and then the sequel just didn't really deliver. And I don't know how well it sold, but I presume when you've got games that in the first game was like, you know, adored by Edge, adored by the media, people loved it, then you, if you invest really heavily into a sequel and it starts getting sixes out of ten, that's like, that's pretty disastrous. Mm. Um, so I can't help but wonder if really the, the Konami have been in a rough place for a while and they've gone, look, let's just make another amazing MGS, try and make loads of money on that, and let's bring back Silent Hill in a big way and try and hope that the nostalgia for that is enough to kind of, for, for what it was, is enough to kind of reboot our fortunes. But as is often the way with companies, you know, it's like maybe they just started running out of money in a really bad way too soon and didn't get a chance to get these products out there in time and i mean we have no idea why kojima left or and we might see when we see what he's doing next we might have a better idea of why that was maybe he quit due to differences maybe they just didn't continue his contract because they couldn't afford him you know it's like we've got I, no yeah. idea it's i mean yeah i'm getting very worried about all of this and you're right if if they're investing basically putting all of their video gaming eggs uh in uh, Silent Hills and uh, Metal Gear Solid, and you see that they're when Ko uh, Kojima leaves, you can think, all right, they're going to keep going with uh, Metal Gear Solid, and they're going to have someone else, and it's gonna it's gonna work out uh, with they're going to keep the game. But they also cancel Silent Hills, mm. and they delist themselves from the New York Stock Exchange, which is not a good sign. No, and apparently they're making a lot of money on pachinko machines i you have to wonder i'm not saying it's going to happen that they're going to fold operations in the video game industry and i mean all of those names that you mentioned they're you know they're part of the gaming history konami is one of the historic uh, actors of the yeah. video game uh, uh you know industry from any way you look at it but i'm i'm just I'm not sure. Why would they be doing all of this if it wasn't... Maybe they're going to fold, you know, fold back operations into something a little bit more manageable and they're going to uh, start again with a smaller team that can do something amazing and they realize so. that the that all of those things didn't work out, you know, You'd the way they so, were right? doing things. But, but 
at the same time, what have they got now? The, the, the hard truth of, of Konami's situation at the moment is Pro Evo, Pro Evolution Soccer, has been a big thing for them for a long time. It's not going to take FIFA's crown. It's just impossible now. It's like FIFA is just holding on to it so tightly. If anything's going to take it, it's just not going to be Pro Evo. It'll be something else from another studio. That's It's kind of had its day, and that's the truth of it. You know, no, other I'm, IPs, I'm, you've, got, you've got Contra. Like, they haven't really... They could... They could I mean, we've seen comebacks with games that... Uh, we didn't think we would enjoy that much uh, before. Uh, they could bring back anything that they've done. Oh that no, yeah, has no. Their, you know, if they if they do it right, they, yeah, there is contra. Even Metal Gear Solid. Uh, I mean, they had a lot of rhythm games. If you, even if you want to get very um, uh, wide reaching, but you know, uh, uh, Castlevania. Uh, was it them who was doing Gradius? I think Gradius is Konami. I, I can't, can't remember. remember. Yeah, no, Gradius was Konami, and obviously yeah. Frogger and stuff like that. A lot of All classic of that, stuff. Yeah. I just, so, I just worry yeah. that it's like you've got to. I think you know they're a company that a lot of people um, really don't like, but I think one of the things that Activision have always done really well for a very long period of time, because Activision are again on these companies that have been around for like ever. Yeah. Um, is they've been aware when things are starting to reach the end of their cycle, and they've always been finding the next thing, and so you know. Activision now they know that like Call of Duty is sort of on the way out and so they invested really really heavily in Destiny you know because they're like hopefully this will be the next thing if Destiny was a flop they've still got the money to then invest really heavily in something else and keep doing it until they get their new thing you know and Konami feel like they've just been using their IPs for a very long time and the problem is they always kind of run out. I'm not saying that Pez won't ever make a comeback, but it's just like FIFA is such a juggernaut now. They're never going to take it over again. It's just not going to happen. Whereas Metal Gear Solid is fantastic, but I do also question whether or not Metal Gear Solid now has a kind of increasingly aging um, and, and you know, d- diminishing audience, you know? It's just... They, it's difficult for the, to know where they're going to go next, where they, they're in terms of old IPs, they've really been doing their best and they've just mistreated stuff, you know? Instead of leaving, mm. if they'd left Silent Hill Fallow for many, many years and then brought it back, it could have been something. But there have been so many iffy ones for so many years. They've not done that thing that businesses need to do of investing heavily into you know, new IP, into new ideas to ensure that when your old ideas start to run out of steam a bit, you can do something else. Well, that's the thing. I think Silent Hills and the PT, uh, you know, the playable teaser. Yeah, um, that fantastic. was Yeah, it, it, it was very well received. And a lot of people were very excited about Silent Hills, which just, you know, makes me wonder even more uh, why they canned it. And I can, if, if there is a strategy in place at Konami to keep doing video games, I don't see how that strategy works with canning silent hills i think I, they've done a gta 5 with metal gear solid i honestly think they've done a because you know the way that gta works with um gta is crazy basically you know every time they make a gta they just they just let them almost have infinite money and infinite time they just give them as long as they want and just stupid amounts of money to do it because they know that just before the games come comes out the company will be in a really rough place financially but then it will come out and they will make more money than god And, you know, that's like, it's a system that very few publishers can afford to do, but they can really afford to do it in GTA because we're nowhere near, because they've treated that IP so carefully and been so sparing with when they release stuff, 
it's still going to be fine for probably another 10 years at least. But I, I can't help but wonder because Metal Gear Solid 5 was just, just looking, you know, with what we've seen with Ground Zeroes, just looks so good that maybe they just end up in a situation where they've gone, oh God, we're spending so much money making this game that we actually need to just put all of our eggs into that basket, cut off all our main projects and just invest on that and hope that when it comes out, so I think that's going to be the big thing. I don't think Konami are just going to die. I really hope they don't have a bad time before the game comes out. But I think it's very much just going to be a case, fingers crossed, that they'll release the new Metal Gear Solid. And then if the new Metal Gear Solid does really well, then they'll be okay. But if it doesn't do that well, then they're probably boned. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll, I guess we'll have to see. When is the release date for MGS5? I can't remember. It's the it's end of this year. It's supposed to be coming out yeah. this year. I yeah, think it's it September. 1st of September, if I remember yeah. correctly. I'm, I'm sure it's this year. Um, so it's not that far off. So actually, I think yeah. we're probably fine. I reckon they're probably just like, they're September like in a 1st, plane, right. the plane's falling apart. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> just keep the plane together and we can release Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> and if it sells, we'll be fine. But um, they're clearly in a bad yeah. place and I do feel for them because I, I mean, frankly, I just love Castlevania. Why won't yeah. they make more Castlevania oh. games? Oh, how much I, you know, there was a period of time of maybe... 15 years, I would just get every single Castlevania. I, I remember playing it on my old NES mm. and playing it on my Super NES and playing it on my Game Boy and Game Boy Advance and I would oh, yeah. play all of those and ah. Oh, the Game Boy so Advance great. Castlevanias were just amazing. I think there's three yeah. in total. Uh, maybe it was yeah. somewhere on the DS, but so good. And you know what? We got Now we've got all this great culture of like kickstarted games so lots of people are going hey you know what like nintendo and konami aren't making metroidvanias anymore so like we'll make them and i keep playing them and keep buying them but none of them are the same you know i've not <laughs> i've yet to play a kind of metroidvania like thing that is as good as say metroid fusion or or the castlevania games on the game boy advances because it was just so good maybe I, I don't know that it's possible to do it like this uh, you know, and be it as good. It's it's also games have evolved and oh I don't sure think sure. Can, yeah. But there's just something about the design of those that was just so tight and magic, yeah. and it yeah. still stands up. You know, you can go back and play Metro Fusion. It's still a really good game. Um, Maybe so. I'm gonna go back and and play a Castlevania for a little bit, and the and then go. Oh, how could I ever play this? This this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, a bunch of smaller pieces of news, and the first one is. For me, uh, one that I am absolutely not surprised by, the, uh, the, the fact that Ouya, you know, the, the Android console, that a lot of people had been saying, oh, this is the future of video game. Put an Android OS in a, in a tiny stick or tiny console, connect it to your TV, and you have a video game system. Who needs those expensive $400 boxes when you can have one for $100? Mm. And I think that every person who has said this was someone who didn't really know anything about games. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's probably you know, true. It's people who know about the tech industry and who know games peripherally, if that's a word. Mm. Um, but I think a lot of people who know about games ha had been thinking, this is all well and good until the PS4 and Xbox One come out. But at that point, people who want to game are going to buy those and Ouya is going to go, you know, going to be forgotten. And lo and behold... Uh, Ouya is folding operations. I'm not happy about it, obviously. No, you know, no. it's never a good thing. But um, apparently they are looking for a buyer. And, 
we'll see what happens, but they're not they're not in a good place. They're in a very bad place, but they've been in a very bad place for a long time. I think the only really sad thing about the whole Ouya thing was the fact that their internal email about the fact the company was going up for sale was like leaked, which basically meant that uh, that you know there was such a heavy whiff of desperation before they even had a chance to start trying to sell it. Basically, it was publicly known that they were going, "Oh God, we're we're a mess. We need to sell," <laughs> which is like not great. But then, yeah. I mean, then again, it's like you have to look at everything and go, well, why did it get leaked? And, you know, Ouya have had so many massive, like, public PR snafus over the past year in terms of they've done things wrong a lot and they've really pissed off a lot of people that you kind of think, well, yeah, but maybe the reason it leaked is because they've really pissed off their employees as well. So it's mm. it's tough. But I just don't think when it even when they got announced, it was like when people were going, oh, this is a great idea. It's like, are you what are you smoking? <laughs> like, I mean, all you need to do is look at the, the games market on the Android devices that already existed, like on Android tablets and Android phones to know that even now, maybe it's getting slightly better. But for a long time, like piracy has been a huge problem on Android platforms. People don't pay for games on Android. Everybody says, I'll oh, make it on Android, not just iOS. But then when it comes out, like people don't pay for it. So to then build a whole new platform based on that, it just seems kind of like, well, what are you thinking about? Like, what are you doing? I don't know. I mean, there are, there are on PC, it, piracy has been a, a very real problem for a very long time. And the PC gaming market is, you know, beyond thriving. So I think there would be a way to make it work. For me, the problem with Ouya isn't piracy. It's the, the fact that Android games are, well, just kind of crap. And yeah, but that's the, the fact that you put it on a on a console in your in your living room you you have limited limited ha- hardware and i don't think developers are going to rush to it and and you don't have an installed base that well i guess it was a bet it could have worked but i didn't see it work the thing is those two things are related that's the problem is like the reason that android games were kind of a bit crap especially i mean they're better now things are better now but at that point android games were really rubbish because like when people ported games to Android, like they would not sell well or the even really good ones would just get pirated. So it got to well, a point I, where... I don't even think that iOS games are that great. They're, they're great as time wasters. They're not games for core gamers. Do you, do you spend a lot of time playing on your iOS devices? If I actually, I spend quite a lot of time playing iOS games at the moment. I've got an iPad. All I right. don't a huge amount right now, but in the past few months, I've spent a lot of time. I've been playing a ton of 80 days. Um, the fact you XCOM is really good on there. Um, what else have I been playing? There's a really old game called King of Dragon Pass, which is amazing. Um okay. And even stuff like, you know, Hearthstone, a lot of people play that. I think you're very limited in terms of what types of games you can play on them. But I think they're still fun. And some of those games are the sort of games where the problem is a lot of them are touchscreen dependent. I don't know. It's tricky. I think now Android is a bit more widespread. Like, But when, you know, when OU was first announced, most people who had Android phones were really geeky people who kind of understood how to like, you know, um, how to jailbreak a phone and how to like put custom software on. Yeah, Whereas now, load stuff, yeah. yeah, you know, it's like Android was for a long time like a really geeky alternative. It, the people who were the front runners of people stepping away from Apple phones were v- like people like me. You know, they were like super geeky. They knew this stuff. Whereas now, like, it's not uncommon to see lots of people with like Samsung phones, etc. You know, it's like. So you think an Ouya could work today? My, my, the the reason I don't think it works is that when someone is going to plug in a console on their TV and sit down to play a game, that person's a gamer. And if they're a gamer, they're going to want a quote-unquote real game and they're going to have a PlayStation or an Xbox or whatever dedicated console Mm. that they can play games that are, you know, solid 
core gaming experiences. And I think that's why Ouya didn't work. But No, I think you're right. And I think it wasn't like, it didn't justify being dedicated hardware. I think the thing is now we look at a world, like sometimes I think I love things dedicated. I still love my PlayStation 4 because it's like, it's a simple dedicated device that just plays games. I love that. But at the same time, like so many other devices are so powerful at combining things. You know, I've got things like a Chromecast in the front room. I can now just use my television to watch stuff. I think Ouya is the sort of thing I can imagine being a feature within a Chromecast, you know, being like, hey, now you can also play play your games on your iPad or on your on your pad on the screen. I think as a, a standalone thing with an enclosed shop, it was just like, nah, who are you trying to fool? Yeah. I mean, even basic stuff like the controller, you know, you've got a the amount of R&D that goes into modern controllers, you know, you might get like kind of retro nutters who go, oh yeah, the SNES pad was the best pad ever. It's like, no, it wasn't. Like, <laughs> like the modern controllers, like, you know, the new DualShock and, you know, even the Xbox 360 pad before that. Personally, I think the PS4 controller is just, it's fantastic. Like, and yeah, to just then great. go from this incredibly, like had probably millions of R&D invested into making this incredible ergonomic, fantastic feeling responsive thing to then go back to something that's just like well hey look it comes with a controller it's kind of cute it's like <laughs> no i don't know it's just it's so many it's answering a problem that really no one had the question to yeah and that's, yeah. yeah good way of putting it um another one which left me a little bit perplexed uh pc game is pc gaming is getting its own press conference uh, at e3 uh, this year, says Polygon, and everyone was like, woohoo, finally, PC Gaming is getting a press conference at E3, woohoo, yay, PC Gaming. And I'm like, I don't, I mean, PC Gaming was never not at E3, it's, it's entirely part of the entire conversation. So I don't get why the fact that it, there is a press conference dedicated to PC Gaming in the way that there, you know, for for EA, for uh, Ubisoft, for Activision, everyone was talking about PC all the time. I don't know. It felt a little bit weird, but yeah, we'll have a, a PC dedicated pe- I guess, press conference. I guess and- there are people. I, you know, it's not it's not me. It's not really my audience either. But there are people who just really want the details. And and when you have the main conferences, you know, you have the questions of being like, you know, well, is this coming out on PC? And okay, well, if it is coming out on PC, like what, what sort of a port is it going to be? Like, is it going to be a straight port? Is it going to have a dedicated mode? Is it going to have any dedicated PC features? How much am I going to be able to like scale it up and stuff? Like, am I going to be able to play around with the frame rates and resolution and stuff that much or not? So I'm just, I don't know what else it's going to be unless they're going to talk about some really PC exclusive stuff. But really, I think that there are, there are people who just get, they just want more information about their platform specifically. And I think it is something that's really, really specifically a PC thing. There is a level of, um, it's not quite entitlement, actually. I can't quite describe it. It, But there are, you know, there's a big sect of people who are PC gaming fans who just basically... Well, the, the master race. We, I mean, yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm part of it as, as well. I love my PC. I love gaming on my PC. It's just I never felt like it needed help. I no, guess is my no. point. But, I think but I, you know, I, we're going to have people like, you know, Cliff Blazinski is is going to be there and you're going to have Blizzard, Square Enix, Devolver Digital, a bunch of developers and publishers that are going to show specifically on the P- I guess yeah, I'll I'll fall back to my previous statement. I never felt PC gaming needed help, but I'm not going to cry because they're they're putting a focus on PC. Uh but it's just I didn't it didn't you know what I, I get what you're saying now and i think we're both on the same page i mean frankly it mm. just comes down to me for me it's like who cares like e3 is like 
not everything needs to be about every platform. And E3 mm. is very much a mainstream consumer thing. It's very much about like, here are the big AAA things. And that's not what PC does best anyway. Like, so who cares? It's like, yeah. I've always felt like, you know, lots of people maybe get annoyed though at E3 that the fact that, you know, they want a bit more focus on, on PC and less focus on consoles. But, you know, I think it's like, well, that's going to be great for them because it means that they'll get more of a sense of like it being a gaming event that caters towards all gamers. But, I don't know. Why not? I, don't Why not? Really I guess yeah. maybe maybe it's going to happen and we're going to be we're going to watch it and we're going to be like, oh, my God, this was the best thing ever. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm actually like, I'm, I'm really as anything, I'm just interested to see it because I think it's going to be interesting, hopefully, and hopefully not a train wreck. But um, I mean, most of the conferences are train wrecks. I don't know. I'm just I've got no interest in E3 <laughs> anymore. Like, I, mean, I used oh, really? to do. Oh, no, I, I love it. It's like I, I watch all of the, the conferences from my home and I tweet about it. And sometimes I do live stuff, you know, live, live uh, coverage. And it's just it's, it's my Super Bowl. It's my Olympic <laughs> Games. You know, that's I'm excited by all of those things. It is we, fun. It is fun. But it is also like it's fun, but silly. It's like you get involved yeah. with the hype, you enjoy it. But you're also aware that like I, I don't get it when people get really annoyed eight months later when it's like, oh, you said this game was going to look like this and it doesn't quite look like this. Like, of course it doesn't. It's all bollocks. It's all yeah, pop. Of course. Yeah. It's all like it's True. all just like nonsense. But if you embrace it as that, then yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Um, you know what else is nonsense? Again, transition. Um, Apple Watch <laughs> games. I've I've had yeah. an Apple Watch for about, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks now. Really? 10 days. Well, I got it on the first day, so I don't know. Wow. How are you getting on with it? Um, so, in general, I'm very indifferent to it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good feeling for something you spent however many hundreds of yeah. dollars on, is it? <laughs> Yeah, it, it isn't. It probably isn't. It's just, you know, I, I had to get one for quote unquote work because I come in tech as well. But sure, sure. Um, it's it's kind of, um, I don't know. I don't dislike it. I don't like it. I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's just there. It mm. it does. It gives me time. Um, the battery life is definitely, definitely lasts uh, a full day. So that's mm. good. Um, I don't mind that I have to charge it every day, but it doesn't do that much for me. It does a little bit. It counts, you know, steps and calories and, and it gives me time. Uh, as I was saying, it's, it's so it lets you tell what the time is on your wrist. An amazing concept. I no, I don't know. It's not, it does a little bit for me, but not enough yeah. that I, I, I'm in love with it. So, um, but anyway, Games uh, on the watch is what I want to talk about because I was getting a little bit excited about, you know, all of the games that had been announced. And I have to say, all of them are rubbish. Mm. There's no good experience on the on the watch that is anything gaming related. Honestly, there are very few good experiences, period, that are... Well, I, was the, reading, the um, is, I was reading that they were saying that they have to kind of um, set it up so that each gaming session lasts about no longer than a minute. And most gaming like sessions are like 10, 15 minute, 15 second bursts because people don't want to hold their hand up. So exactly. That's the thing. What I discovered was even holding your hand up for more than 15 seconds, try and do it. It gets a little bit tiring. You don't want to be holding your hand up for, you know, a minute and a half as you're swiping for your temple run session. And and obviously there isn't anything like that on the watch yet, but I, I don't know. I guess there is a potential there, maybe. But I'm very very skeptical. Yeah, uh, I just got having... to, I just got to twenty seconds. I just started doing it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> got to twenty seconds, and that's without me prodding my wrist, which I imagine is probably going to mm. not help. 
So imagine, you know, trying to design a kind of game experience, but, and even, you know, 20 seconds, it's not mm. like 20 seconds and then a minute later you do it again. If you're going to be doing it that regularly, then it's, it's, you're interrupted. You, you want to do it more. The thing is that the experience has to be 15 seconds and that's it for the next half an hour or a minute. What's the point? What is, what's exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's like, what's um, the I don't. Because the thing with that is, I'm actually like, it's something I have a real problem with, with games at the moment, um, in the way that I feel like a lot of people, the way that they actually engage with games, and the way they're introduced to games as a medium, are in, um, in terms of mobile things, in terms of short experiences, right? And I don't think short experiences are already bad, or always bad, but often... Like I see a lot of people playing Candy Crush and stuff, and it's like these are things that are filler. You know, a lot of people just use um, video games uh, not to add any meaning, not to add any like richness to their life, even, but just to add filler, just to plug gaps of being like, well, so now that's, I, I have that's to sit, my yeah. Uh, yeah, that's my definition of core gaming or gamers and casual gamers. For me, um, what I've been saying for a few months is casual gamers are people who play games when they have free time. And core gamers are people who make time to play games. Yeah, and and phones are definitely in that category. But even I think you can do both. Like, and I, you know, I have games that I play when I'm like traveling, and I use these games to fill time to be like, I've got to yeah. go from here to here. I've got seven minutes on the London Underground. I'm gonna spend these seven minutes in a way which is satisfying and fun, and also makes time pass, you know, in a more quick way. But then when I see people going around just just filling like gaps in your life, I just think it's a really unhealthy way to live your life because I also <laughs> think that it expands. From my experience, it expands beyond that, and then you find yourself like filling gaps in everything. Like you just end up like playing it for five minutes in the middle of a conversation or something, or like in the, you know, it, it, I don't know. I just think it's an unhealthy way of being like almost trying to optimize your life so you're just filling all the gaps with something i think it's Damn okay kids back in my days <laughs> not they, even kids, when you right? played when you played a video game you would play it for real and be in in you know involved in it it no, wasn't no. like 15 seconds here and there a lot of these a lot of these people aren't even kids a lot of these people are actually like people our age they're like you know like they are adults um and they're just i just find it but then with this it's like if you if you literally you play it for fifteen seconds, it'd probably take you longer than that to load the game up. Like the idea of like yeah. if you if if humans get to a point where they go, Oh god, I've got thirty seconds to kill now, I better do something. Like <laughs> that's really bad. Like I, I'm already like I find that video games have sort of developed my brain in a way to try and optimize things and try and fill in all these gaps and try and yeah. make the best use of my time in a way, which I don't think is actually very healthy for me as a human. So I'm already trying to ease myself off that. And the idea of being like, hey, why not squeeze in this five <laughs> seconds here is like, no, get out of my head. Like, I don't want to become a robot. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I definitely feel like you that maybe the, the amount of time it takes you to get your phone out and start playing on it for a couple of minutes is probably the least amount of time you're going to have to want to occupy. If it's be smaller than that, then... Maybe you're okay just looking, you know, into nothingness. The only way um, I could imagine it but, working, if it's like an alarm thing, like how every day or something at a certain time it would go, doo -doo, and then you'd have to like play a 10 second game and it'd be like, a, like almost like a, a Tamagotchi style thing, you know, something fun like well, that. But then what if you're yeah, busy? Maybe. Like that would get really bloody annoying. Then you like, can do it later, I guess. I mean, yeah. th th that's, that's the thing. There is a, a 
potential. We don't know if it's going to work out in the end, if it's going to happen, but and but there is definitely a potential, as there is a potential for everything. So I don't want to say that this will never work and, and you know it cannot work. I wouldn't go that far. It's just that for now it's crap. And just so you know, I bought the Tamagotchi uh, app that was re-released with uh, app uh, watch support. That thing was such crap. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it doesn't hold up. But maybe there will be something. I think it's going to take time. Um, You know, I've not, I'm not a big fan of Apple products and, um, but I also think that they do eventually get really, really good. And I mean, I thought when the iPad first came out, the first few iterations of it were pretty poor. There were lots of problems with, uh, in terms of step up, in terms of it being like, oh, suddenly the one you bought last year is now kind of useless. Um, because that's the way it works. You know, early adopters get kind of shafted and then eventually the product that it should be comes. And I think once you get an Apple watch that has a proper battery life and has things that are useful that you can do with it, it'd be great. I mean, I've got an iPad now, an iPad three or four, I can't remember, but I love it. It's fantastic. But I think that the original iPads were pretty bad. Like, and I think it's just the the way that the cycle always happens. So I think. I've got, maybe it could be great in five years' time, or maybe we'll it just see, yeah. won't be. Who knows? Yeah, maybe it won't. I mean, for games, I I, I definitely think if the, if there are going to be uses for it, I don't think there are going to be games initially, at least. But we'll see. Maybe maybe we'll be proven wrong. Uh, all right, a bunch of game features have been announced. Uh, we discussed the Destiny House of Wolves DLC. Uh, they call them officially expansions, so we're going to call them that as well. Um, <laughs> and there's something called the Trials of Osiris mm-hmm. in the game. And I thought it was a really interesting way that uh, that thing worked. It's a PvP mode where basically you you do... It works the way... Hearthstone works for the arena mode. Uh, So you enter the Trial of Osiris with three of your buddies and you play until you've lost three times. And you can win up to 12 times um, maximum. If you do win 12 times, then you've won. And I just thought it was a very interesting take on the three, you know, the PvP environment in an FPS. And it it kind of came out of nowhere that they would introduce a game that is competitive and that brings in uh, um, a competitive mode that will be rewarding and and you can go farther than other people and you can you know that thing so for people who don't know hearthstone uh, as i was saying you enter the tournament everyone enters you know uh, can enter whenever they want uh and if you if you play a game if you win you you uh, advance and fight uh some another team that has uh uh or hopefully won as many games as you have and if you lose you and you can lose three times and and you're out and you can enter again of course and presumably you're gonna have uh better rewards if you win more and uh le- you know uh, lesser rewards if you don't yeah. win as much that's I, I thought it was an interesting uh way of reinvigorating the the pvp aspect honestly i think it's awesome I honestly yeah. think it's fantastic. I'm a big Destiny fan, but I'm also a lapsed Destiny fan. I haven't played for about two months, two and a half months, mainly because in the last thing, you know, there was a massive amount of cheese going on for Crota and everybody got on board the cheese train 
had a lovely selection, like a full a full cheese board. And then you did a like, video about presenting all of the different types yeah, of cheese. Yeah, I did. I did. You? Yeah. And you know that took a long time because I ha- I wanted to make each of the different types of cheese have a real f- a real logo that looked like it could be a logo on a cheese packet. <laughs> and you know it's actually quite difficult designing logos that look like they're a real cheese brand because there are only a certain number of fonts that look right. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um. It was fun, but then it was like, well, I've reached the end game. Now I'm done. There's nothing new for me to do. So suddenly it was like the spell of destiny was broken and there was nothing for me to do. But I didn't hate it, crucially. It wasn't like with many games like this where you get to the end of the, you know, you reach the carrot on the stick and then you go, oh my God, this carrot is rubbish. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, Destiny, I still love the core mechanics of just shooting stuff in the head and the cycle of that, that I didn't feel like bad about it. And I was looking forward for a reason to come back. And this is it because... Lots of people might be annoyed about the lack of a new raid, but it was just so easy to exploit. I love that they've gone with a focus on PvP uh, for two reasons. A, because it's not going to be something that you can cheese because you're playing against other people, and that's a lot easier to make sure that there aren't any like super cheeses or anything. And also, I've played a lot of the multiplayer already. There don't appear to be any problems with that. It's pretty tight. You know, Bungie are good at that. But also, the PvP in Destiny is fantastic. And one of the biggest problems... It's really good, yeah. The biggest problems with Destiny originally, I thought, was that it didn't give you... In, in the long term, um, it didn't give you enough of a reason to just go and play more of it. Like, there were reasons, but then as the game progressed, it felt like the only time I ever went back into the PvP was when, and this is getting a bit Destiny geeky now, but when I had a special mm. mission that needed me to, like, do a certain thing in PvP to level up a gun. And then I think, okay, well, I'll go, I'll go and play some PvP. And then as soon as I started playing it, I was like, this is so much fun. I always forget that it was just so good. And to put this focus on PvP again and give people a real reason that every weekend to clock in and have a go in this Hearthstone-style way of seeing how far you can go with your team. And even if you mess it up and you lose three times, you just buy another ticket with in-game currency and then start stamping again with wins. Um, I just love it. And also, hopefully, it could get interesting in the fact that it's very much geared up towards being a kind of more esportsy. Um, style of things, 3v3, two-minute matches. It's very easy to follow, very easy to understand. Um, I'm really excited by it. Um, and actually, yeah. I think if I've been the, told... The only, before, problem yeah. is, the only problem is you need to find three friends to do it. And that's uh, always a challenge for I don't think it's that bad. It's two friends. Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah, yeah, right. It's not as bad. And I think actually if they had done the traditional thing here, it'd been like another raid, I think mm. now it would be harder to get five people together. Um, because I think a lot of people have wandered off from from Destiny. So I think it, hopefully now it'll be like, you know, you'll be able to get a couple of other friends who will relapse with you and play some. Um, even if it's just, I, I kind of like the fact that it's just on weekends as well. Um, I think that's right anyway. Don't, I'm not 100%, but I think it's just weekends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's a bit more suited towards not casual players, but more players, you know, people like me who, who don't have time to play stuff constantly and grind constantly, but can put a Saturday aside and can plan ahead and be like, hey, guys, let's do this. Let's all like log on at two o'clock and then just have a Saturday where we just play De- Destiny and see how far we can get. I really you've, like that idea. You've convinced me. I'm really hyped about it. And I think yeah. the thing is, really, the exciting thing about this expansion is it seems like they're actually learning. The first two expansions, I think, were so set in stone that all of the criticisms about the game... You mean um, the first game and the, and the expansion? Yeah. I think they listened to the criticisms, but there was very little they could do to shift the plan. Mm. And I think this expansion got pushed back by a few months. It feels like they've actually taken the time to 
to actually change things a bit and listen to the feedback that they've had because they've got so, it must take such a long time. It's a slow vehicle to move. But it seems like they're getting the hang of it, and I'm really excited about the uh, whatever the full expansion that comes at the end of the year is. You know, there's going to be another big thing which will be like probably like a sequel but not, and I'm really well, hopeful I think- for that. I, th- I think it's going to be a proper expansion that's going to cost, you know, 40 bucks mm-hmm. and uh, and you're going to have like an entirely new level cap and uh, that kind of thing. And then next year uh, we'll get a proper sequel like Destiny 2 or something like that. Absolutely. I covered the game quite substantially actually in like video series of really going into detail about it. And I'll probably be doing another one pretty soon in the run up to the expansion just to look at like where we're at, where we've been, what we're expecting for the future. But I honestly think that, and I've always said that lots of people got really huffy about Destiny. But like, oh, it's crap, it's crap, it's just repeating the same things, it's got all these problems. It's like, yeah, I agree with a lot of this. But the thing is, the foundations of that game, the feeling of just shooting stuff in the head and just the simple loop of collecting things, shooting things, leveling stuff up is so satisfying that really... Well, that's the thing, that's the problem. Oh, sorry, finish up. Well, I was just going to say, really, like, everything else they can fix... And I think they have long-term plans for this game, and it seems like they do. And I'm really, I've always been really excited to be like, you know, I'm enjoying playing this right now, but I'm so excited to see where it is in a year and a half. And I honestly really feel that at the end of this year, when they release the next big thing, where it'll be like a massive change, new stuff, I honestly think it's probably going to be really good. Um, Just because what they were trying to do was quite ambitious, but I also think there was a degree of maybe hubris involved i think that bungie maybe felt like they could step into this arena and do something and they kept saying about how nobody's ever done this before nobody's ever made a game like this before and it's like no that's not true <laughs> like lots of games have been like this before maybe you just haven't really given it the due diligence to really do your research on that front and what they made was a fantastic shooter with some fairly mediocre mmo elements around it and i think that now they're really getting to grips with the second half of it i think the future for the game fingers crossed should be really really bright i think yeah i think the the end of the year thing is not going to change much if you don't enjoy the game now you're not going to enjoy it after the expansion comes out um it's you're right the 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 gameplay loop of shooting stuff in the head is incredibly well done but if you don't already like this then there's no reason to play the game ever and, no. and that's not going to change. Uh, maybe with Destiny 2, I could see maybe having some a, a little bit more of a live uh, world to explore and having those MMO elements be actually implemented. Mm. Um, but I've loved Destiny for because I really enjoyed what they got right, which is shooting stuff in the head. And that's yeah. what keeps coming back to everyone who plays it if you that feeling that gameplay that core gameplay element of the the shooting stuff is like no other fps i've ever done it if you don't like that there's nothing for you in that game i think yeah i think it's difficult because it's difficult to say more than shooting stuff in the head feels amazing and the problem is that's just a bullet point and a lot of people might go yeah 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 so it feels good to shoot things it's like no 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 no, no, but no, you no, don't no, get no. it no no no, no. <laughs> it feels amazing it's so difficult yeah, to put enough prominence on that it's like i have uh, with just with hand cannons alone i've shot about fifteen thousand things in the head with it <laughs> like i've killed fifteen thousand things with one type of gun and i've used lots of the other types and i love them all yeah. and, and i'm still not bored of it at no point every time i load it up just the feeling of shooting something in the head with a hand cannon oh it just hits the spot 
every yeah. single time. I agree. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to play a little bit of Castlevania and then I'm going to fire up Destiny. I think I might do myself something similar myself. <laughs> uh, Arkham Knight. Uh, there was a new feature announced, the dual play, where basically you're going to have two characters on screen. This is a little bit of inside baseball for Arkham, uh, Arkham Games lovers. Um, but you're going to have a couple of characters on screen, and you're going to be able to juggle between them, basically. You're going to switch between um, Batman and Catwoman, or ba- Batman and, and Nightwing, etc., etc. So there's a little bit of character switching um, in the uh, fight scene which could be fun. It could be a fun feature and a way to expand the range of uh, things you can do with this with this game now that it's the fourth one. Um, and the other thing is the DLC has been announced and it's 40 bucks, which is fairly pricey. It's going to uh, bring a bunch of stuff, but uh, because people were a little bit frustrated at the price, which is usually... Season passes have um, usually been in the range of 30 bucks, sometimes even less, uh, but people seem to be accepting of a 30 bucks season pass. And uh, this one is 40 bucks. People were pissed and um, they they announced some of the features from the uh, season pass. Batgirl is one of the standalone story arcs that will be added in the six months after the release of the game. Uh, but beyond that... I'm, I, I really I don't understand why people are so angry about those season pa- pass prices mm. because no one should ever, ever buy any of those things until we actually know what is in them. And beyond that, you shouldn't buy that season pass until the uh, DLC has been has come out and has been reviewed. Yeah. Maybe the core game you want to buy, you know, maybe on the time, on the day it's released because you really want to play it. But first of all, never pre-order any of those things ever. Um, there's no reason for pre-ordering any of that unless you're absolutely 200% sure you want to play it. Um, again, I, I think we mentioned it a while ago, but pre-ordering came comes from a time when uh, you had to have a certain stock of games in your store and you weren't yeah. sure you were going to get it if you went to the store on the day of release that's the only reason you would you would pre-order now that doesn't happen they always have enough stock always so and and it's the same thing with the DLC i don't get it if you don't want to pay that amount of money then don't don't buy it. Just wait until the thing is out. And if you really, if you think you had a good, satisfying experience, it was full enough for the core game, then maybe consider buying more because you want more. But yeah. why get pissed off about it beforehand? I don't get that. I don't get it. I mean, these games are big enough as it is. You know, it's like, I reckon Arkham City is going to be huge, probably. And maybe not by traditional super, super hardcore game standards. But for me, like when I get around to playing it, which I don't know when that'll be, it'll be pretty big. Like if it, if it takes 30, 40 hours to complete it, I'm done. If some people want more than that and they love it, that's fine. And really, this is the same thing we are talking about earlier, like super fans, Batman is sort of thing. You know, if you really, really love Batman and you're willing to shell out extra money for more Batman stuff and get into players Batgirl, there will be people who will be like, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. I love Batman. And they just love Batman games and they just want all the Batman. And being able to like get that extra investment is 
it's fine, but it's not for everyone. I think the problem is that some people equate this to being like, oh, what, so everyone has to do this? And it's like, no, no, you don't. <laughs> like, I mean, it was, it's similar with Destiny in a way. It was like, you know, basically they've done this weird thing calling things expansions. But really what you're looking at is you're looking at it's an MMO with a six quid a month subscription for as long as you want to keep playing it with all the new content. And that's what actually, if you do the numbers, it's like, oh, it's exactly the same as an MMO. But the difference is it doesn't stop you from playing it. It just means that you just get the game, but then you get to a point where like, oh, if you if you really still enjoy playing this and you really want to keep playing it all the time and then invest another six quid a month. And I kind of found it, I found it crazy when some people were like, I bought this game and I played (laughs) it every day for six day hours a day, every day for six months. And now you want me to pay you more money. And it's like, whoa, if you honestly, (laughs) if you spend that much time doing it, maybe you really like it. Maybe you're, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up to me. And I understand there are exceptions and sometimes people have, you know, money is tight, etc. But if money's tight, then don't choose a bloody AAA game from a massive studio as being your thing. Like find something a bit cheaper to begin with. I don't know. It's it's complex, but it's yeah. no, I think I think there is definitely some of that. There is some unreasonableness happening in that, you know, field with people saying, well, I've played it, as you were saying, you know, for hours, for six months, and I don't want to give you more money. That that seems unreasonable to me. Uh, there's also another type of unreasonableness, in my opinion, um, which is the fantasy that you're. if there is a, a, a DLC planned from the get-go, then the developer is taking things away from the core game to put it into the DLC. First of all, that's not how production works. You plan it in advance, of course, but second of all, if you think that the game, the core game that you purchased didn't give you I'm not even going to go there. The thing is, it's not happening. I really don't think it's happening in the sense that we're still getting games that uh, are full, coherent, long enough experiences Mm. for the base price. We're not getting games that are chopped in half and that you feel you shouldn't have bought. I don't think there might be some, you know, some instances where it feels a little bit like that, but that's due to something else. I'm thinking about The Order, for example, which was a short experience, but that was a problem with the the order itself it, there isn't even any dlc on the order that i'm aware sure, of sure yeah so in general it's not happening the games that we're getting and i'm sure arkham knight is going to be the same way are very full complete game that give you you know 10 15 20 30 hours worth of gameplay and that's reasonable yeah so, i mean there are exceptions of course like i i really do understand why the stuff with destiny rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way because really people are like well what i've played all the levels of this game that's it that's all the levels and it's like yeah but it's not really that kind of game it's like yeah exactly it's, it's basically that's a horde a mode, the game yeah, it's yeah. it's that people didn't kind of see that the game wasn't a linear shooter in the way that most people but then there are well, things it, like they um, were they were a little bit disingenuous for for destiny they led us to believe it yeah. was going to be more than what it was Absolutely. but for what it was you know, it was it was a lot of content, and and I think everyone who liked Destiny was was absolutely happy with their purchase and played dozens of hours, and that's why you should not buy the game if you're not sure. 
don't if you if you've been promised stuff and if you've seen a couple of trailers and you're like but there's something weird and there was something weird with destiny you you'll remember the beta where everyone was like wait a second this is one zone and you said there was six of them but basically that was five hours of of content that's all the game is and they were like no there's more but they were cagey and they were if that's what's happening don't buy the game before it's out mm. and before you've read the reviews. But there and are that solves everything. Like, Evolve was a big thing, but then Evolve, like it was, mm. you could smell it. You know, it was like yeah, it again, was yeah. so hard on pushing the pre-orders and then so hard on pre-DLC stuff that it's like, yeah, I don't think it did terribly well because of it. Because I think there are situations where you sort of think, hey guys, come on, this this doesn't feel quite right. But then it suffers. You know, things suffer. Everybody, everybody can smell it. Everyone can see it. And it doesn't benefit the game. I think a lot of time now, people just have to accept that this is the way that AAA games are now, right? And the good thing is, like, some people might go, oh, it's, it's rubbish because well, it didn't used to be like this. But there are now, we don't just have to do AAA. There's so many things. If you want the old school experience of just buy a game for cheap and then play it and then you're done, there are so many other avenues of ways you can do that now. Like, you don't need to be buying the super shiny games. Agreed. Yeah, completely agreed. And, and it's not even about, you know, we have to accept that triple A's are that way now. That's sort of, I, I guess you didn't mean it like that, but it sort of implies that this is a sad state of affairs and that we have to accept it, accept it because that's reality. Um, that's not what you meant, right? It's just... No, I think it's just the fact is there are, I think a lot of it comes down to visual fidelity, right? And the fact that now it's just, it's not financially viable to make yeah, games exactly, that look exactly. this good. But people yeah. want that. But the problem is, it's like, well, if you want that, if you want games that still look incredible, then you we need to pay more for them because they cost more. Mm. And you can't, the way they're trying to get around that is a bit interesting. But I think it's still better to have a system whereby the price for the original game is not that much higher than usual. Um, but then they rely on the the people who are super fans to then make up the rest of the money rather than saying exactly, to everyone, yeah. oh, this game costs 70 quid. You know, it's like... Exactly. I think that's, that's something, again, we mentioned in this show uh, before. The fact that games have not gone up in price for so long... Um, is, uh, uh, you know, even if you take into account inflation for the past 20 years, I think the prices of games have not gone up for 20 years. I would say maybe 15, but I would say I paid the same amount I, I uh, for my PlayStation 2 games that I do now. Yeah, um, we've got to account for inflation, unfortunately. But uh. <laughs> Exactly. Well, even even then, I in, in France, most games are 60, 59 to 69 euros. Mm-hmm. And... I don't think it was that. I mean, the the whenever when the euro arrived, I think games, which was you know thirteen years ago, games were already uh, fifty nine to sixty nine, depending on the game. Right. And so anyway, and yeah, the the fact that they're relying on the 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 people who actually want more of that game to offset the increasing costs, I think it's a, it's a good system. And beyond that, it's a system that works. And if it didn't work, and and that there are growing pains in there, and sometimes some companies try things that don't go over well, so others don't do it then. And but ultimately, I think it works out, and and yeah. I'm kind of happy with that system where I can get a full game, a, a, a an actual satisfying full game experience most of the time, if not all the time, 
And if I want more, I can pay more to get more, which was not really a possibility before that. You had to wait for the next, you know, the, the next game to, to come out, uh, the next ish, uh, um, uh, op, opus, you, the next in the series. So mm. anyway, um, Call of Duty, Black Ops 3, we've mentioned it uh, a little bit. Um, you know, if you want to <laughs> if you want to pre-order it, you're going get, to get access to the beta I would not pre-order it, but that's me. Um, and uh, the the new thing is that you get a full co-op single-player uh, experience, up to four players. I think two um, same, you know, couch co-op and and four over the um, the internet. That's kind of cool. I really like the single-player experience uh, in in those shooter games, and co-op is is something I really enjoy. So. I think I'm going to be trying that if I get Call of Duty Black Ops 3, which is not a given. I think that'd be more fun, actually, in co-op. Like, I kind of feel like um, Call of Duty games as a kind of immersive storytelling experience are a bit weaker these days, but I still enjoy the yeah. romp of going and shooting stuff. So I think it was co-op, it'd be a lot more fun. It's just when it wants me to take it really seriously and want me to give it my full attention and my full, like, kind of... I'm just like, nah, come on. It's not that good. Like, <laughs> they have, Well, they used to be, but yeah. they're not, they haven't been for a long time. And so yeah, now it, it, it's it more was, of a, like... Yeah, Modern Warfare one and two were great. Yeah, and yeah, but you know, I'm 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 I miss uh, couch co-op. So I'm happy there are more things there. Yeah, totally. Um, all right, a quick round of rumors and announcements and dates. Uh, one rumor is the possibility of seeing a Gears of War remaster uh, coming to Xbox One. Um, that would be I would be interested in that. I I recently got a uh, so Gears of War is what I got for my first uh, foray into the last generation of consoles, and that's why I got my Xbox 360. And I I got a a a, a sort of urge for Gears of Warness, and I got Gears of War three uh, a month ago, I think maybe two months ago. Yeah, and I. I you know I put it in my console my my 360 is still plugged in um and played it for 5 minutes and <laughs> that was it um but you know what Gears of War is an excellent series and I'm I'd love to see an updated version of that so yeah I I, I kind of like I'm in mixed minds I I sort of don't it makes me feel old thinking about Gears of War because I remember when it first came out and I was I was still at university and I was like, you know, my Oh, my friend, wow, you're so young. <laughs> and uh, I think it was I think it was in my last year of it, but it was like my, my friend had just got it. He was playing it on his little, you know, remember what televisions used to be like? They were like weird fat <laughs> things with curved screens. He was playing it on one of them and it didn't even, we didn't even have a HD telly in our house or whatever, but it was still just like, oh, wow. It just, I don't know. It's There's something about it that just makes me think, in a way of like the fact that Microsoft was so carried by Gears of War as a series, amongst other things throughout the whole of the next generation, there's just something a bit like faintly sad about, you know, if that's, if that's one of the things they're going to announce at E3 of being like, really, is that, is that where the Xbox One is at, where like really they're just, just still trying to carry mm. themselves on the coattails of, of a series which is really old, like... <laughs> I didn't think of it like that, but when I don't you know, say like, it, it's, being it's, like, it, is, it does make sense. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna have. I mean, uh, um, they they did announce that they were going to push uh, first party uh, developers at E3 and first party games and exclusives. And I don't think this. I think this is going to be an you know a, a, a cherry thing. on top. Yeah, yeah I and so. I I really. By the way, I wanted to mention this when we were talking about E3. What I'm really hoping to to have out of E3 
the if there's one thing I can choose, it's a, a slim Xbox One. If we get that, I'm I'm buying it. You know, the day it's released. Yeah, that'd be nice actually. I think I just need something to get me really excited by it. You know, um, I thought Project Spark was really cool, really interesting, but it doesn't seem to have like been. It's yeah. not quite as good as it needs to be for me to be really interested in it. And also I'm an adult now, so I don't have time to do that <laughs> stuff. But it's like, but I looked at that and I thought, when I first saw that, I thought I would have loved this as a kid. It would have been amazing. Mm. And if I had kids, I would probably buy it and that just be like, you're only allowed to play this. <laughs> <laughs> Learn how to make something amazing. I'll come and play it. Um, I don't know. Yeah. But I, I we'll kind see. of feel like the, the, the way that, the PS4 has approached things in terms of like Sony just really trying to reach out to indies and really trying to build up the catalog of, of indie stuff. And the fact that it ties in really nicely with the Vita, which I've also got, um, they've kind of almost, they know that it's going to take a while for the systems to really get up and running in terms of having like really meaty catalogs of stuff to play on them. So they've kind of gone down the route of just really trying to get a really good back catalog and modern catalog of great stuff. That's, whereas I just feel like, I don't know. It's not that the Xbox are doing a bad job. It just feels like they lost a lot of confidence after that initial kind That's of true. reveal. I, you know, uh, honestly, I think Sony has... It's not that they did a great job. It's just that they didn't yeah, I know, right? up. Right? I know. They, they didn't, so... It's so harsh because, like, yeah. it wasn't that Sony did a great job. Sony yeah. got out to come on stage and go, woo, and get this massive applause for basically yeah. just walking out of stage and going we're maintaining the status quo. Yeah, exactly. And everyone went, oh my God, I love the way that things are right now. Let's just keep it like that forever. And it's like, yeah. nah. I mean, at the time it worked, but they haven't done thing great since. I think since then, yeah. it's just that they've got a bit more, it feels like they've got a bit more of a kind of like a, a, you know, kind of a swagger in their step. They're doing well. They know they're doing well. And they're just sort of doing little things, nice steps, whereas it just feels like, Microsoft are just a bit like, oh, bollocks. They, and then it just feels increasingly like they're just going, well, let's just focus on what we do best. And that's just like Halo, Gears of War, and really just yeah. doubling down on that, you know, that kind of uh, um, young male American audience that has relied, they've relied Maybe. on with the Xbox for a long time. I don't know. I mean, we're reading here and there uh, that in some countries, actually, the, the PlayStation 4 is, is widening its lead, which is definitely something Microsoft should worry about. Uh, and so that's why I think they're going to be coming out. They need a jolt of some kind. And that's why I'm hoping they're going to have a slimmer Xbox One without the, you know, ridiculously immense power brick. And and that just, you know, gets people... It's it's Obviously, it's nothing. It just works as the one did before, but it's just something to get people who are like, well, I don't really, you know, there's no compelling reason for me to get one, to just... To just just go ahead and do it. And I hope that this is going to be accompanied by a very strong offering in uh, exclusive games and first-party yeah. games and in, in games that you're not going to be able to get anywhere else. That's and, the thing. And I the think... funny thing is, you know, two or three years ago, we were pissed about this. We we're like, but I don't want to buy all of those different systems. But really now I want to. I want to have a reason <laughs> to buy all of those. those I'd know, like to have systems. a reason to buy all the systems. But at the same time, like, I think I do need, now that I've got one, console i think i don't really need another one because there's so much crossover i kind of think it really needs something special i guess what i just find faintly depressing is the fact that you know the xbox 360 you looked at, at its curve to where it got to to success and obviously towards the end of that it did then start 
I'm focusing quite heavily on the traditional kind of bro gamer market and really going for like lots of, you know, they had the, the whole Xbox partnership with Call of Duty, you had Gears of War, you had a lot of stuff. And that's really what they doubled down and they did really well from that. But I, I remember back when the console was just starting out and it just being their first effort and this sort of like, well, not first, but, you know, the Xbox was not, doesn't really count because it didn't really make any traction. <laughs> but they just felt like they would, you know, they had something to prove and they were trying so hard and they were trying lots of different things. I remember just amazing things like how... The Xbox Live Arcade. Yeah, and, like and how yeah. accommodating the Xbox was in terms of like how you wanted to plug it into a television. It was like, oh, we could do any <laughs> any resolutions you want. And you'd be like, I love you. Uh, <laughs> and but even simple stuff like the fact that, you know, the games they were making, you know, Viva Pinata, like... I just now it's like you look at all the games and it's not just a case of wanting an exclusive experience as being like an exclusive game, but I just sort of look at it and go, what can you like? I, I'm waiting for the Xbox I'd, One to have a game that can yeah. show me something I've not seen. You know, I don't know. I mean, Ori and the Blind Forest was was kind of cool. Uh, oh, I've got that on Steam though, so but it yeah, is really yeah. it's really that's, good. That's the thing. Yeah, um, there's what what was the Sparta one? The the Rome, Son of oh, Rome thing, yeah. which which was I mean I understand it wasn't a good game, but there was they tried something. Uh, you know, I yeah. think there, it was just rise. Yeah. Rise, son of Rome, right. Um, anyway, I guess we'll see what happens at E3. But there is, I'm, I'm, I want to like it. I want to oh, love yeah, it. I yeah. want to want an Xbox One. So the thing is, I've had some incredible um, experiences with the Xbox 360, and I've still got a lot of love for oh, that yeah. console. And I'm just waiting for the moment where I look at the Xbox One and it reminds me of the Xbox 360, and I think, yeah, I want that. But so far, they just haven't done that. It feels like something new that I don't really want. Mm, damn kids and their new <laughs> Xboxes. Uh, Telltale is uh, going to be developing Marvel games and I couldn't find myself you know I couldn't find any excitement for this in, in my and, and we've said in the beginning of the show how excited I am about the Marvel universe but I'm wondering if Telltale isn't becoming stale tale or tale stale or it, you know like thank that. you um aren't we sick of having the same formula over and over again i think that it's running out of steam for sure mm. i think that the problem is it's just the trick that you can only have so many times and it's the same trick in every game yeah and it's the trick of being like making you feel like something has an impact when it doesn't um and it worked it's a trick that worked fantastically but it's one that is increasingly not working as well and I think that I'm, I I started playing, I think I played episode one of the Game of Thrones one and I want to keep playing it because I was really enjoying it. But I kind of feel like I can't keep this suspension of disbelief is like, you know, it's like a, a magic spell in the movie. It's like, I can't hold it much longer. <laughs> like, I can't keep tricking my brain in the same way, the same trick. Um, and I kind of feel like at the moment, them just making all these things. It's, I think the it's maybe just not going to be for me, but that's fine because you know what? I kind of like the fact that they're doing something different. They're kind of making these interactive fiction experiences. And with the Game of Thrones one in particular, they've been really heavily advertising it around the TV show, being like, hey, you've seen the TV show, now play the game. The problem is, you know, I played it, I played it on the iPad and it ran like a piece of dog shit. So I think a lot of people will probably be put off by that because I think maybe a lot of TV audiences might go and download it from the App Store and then go, this just doesn't run. Um, <laughs> So and you know what? Maybe they're going to do something different. Yeah. Maybe it's not going to be the same storytelling games. Yeah, it could do. But even if it isn't, even if it just they do the same thing, but just for broader audiences and new audiences, fine. It might just be that it becomes that thing of being like, oh well, you know, you, you don't want to watch all of these films, but if you're going to watch one, then just watch this one. Like of being like these films are all kind of similar, but watch the one that you like the theme of most. You know. 
Ultra Street Fighter 4 is coming to PS4 in about uh, three weeks. I'm I'm tempted to get it. Um, Street Fighter is my default fighting game, and I know that Street Fighter 5 is gonna come out probably next year. But for I've I, you know I bought the first Street Fighter 4, and I think I bought Arcade Edition. Um, no, I think I bought Super, and not uh, Ultra, and not. Was there an arcade? I can't remember. Anyway, I no idea. So you're not it. a Street Fighter person then? I tried it, but I just I realized the investment of time it was going to take to get good at it. And at that point, I was already playing a lot of StarCraft 2. And I was just like, <laughs> I can't, I can't keep doing this. All the games yeah. I love are the sorts of games where you need to invest like a lot of time to get good at it. And it's like there have to be cutoff points, otherwise I'd never get anything done. To be fair, um, it hasn't. Um, I don't play it very much it's it's just this comfort thing that i can go back to and get destroyed for a couple of games and just feel <laughs> like you know i do the the combo sessions like the tutorials uh, or right, the combo yeah. challenges and that's the most of what i do on on street fighter these days but anyway it's 25 bucks uh probably going to turn into 25 euros maybe 20 quid uh, for you brits and um i i think i think it's okay it's an okay price um if you haven't bought every single version on on PlayStation Three, um, the the one thing that's a little bit curious, but not really, is the fact that it hasn't been announced for Xbox One. But given that uh, Street Fighter Five is going to be an exclusive on on PS Four, maybe that's going to be the same uh, case for mm. for Ultra Street Fighter Four. We'll see. Um, were you ever a fan of Banjo and Kazooie? I'm actually a huge fan of Banjo Kazooie. In fact, did so much. Did you support the Kickstarter for Ukulele? I haven't yet. I might. I don't know. I feel very weird about it. So I'm a huge Banjo Kazooie fan. So much, in fact, that I actually spent a massive amount of time, probably about 30 hours, specifically making a little joke video recently, which injected one of the honeycomb pieces from Banjo Kazooie into Dark Souls 2, um, which was took me a long time in After Effects. But uh, yeah, I, I love Banjo Kazooie. But at the same time, weirdly, I don't know. Like, I loved it when I first saw the imagery for it, and I love the idea of it, and I love the idea of these people leaving Rare to make this thing. But then I saw Alpha video of it running, and there was a part of me that was like, I don't know about this. Because the thing <laughs> is, Banjo Kazooie didn't come out recently. You know, Banjo Kazooie came out a long time ago, and it's one of these things where because Rare have been owned by Microsoft for such a long time and they've been working on stuff for Microsoft, you know what? Their remit for Microsoft has been really weird and random and a bit all over the place. You know, they've done like avatars, but also the Kinect games and other stuff. And I kind of think like, can they still do it? And it's a multiple thing of like, can they still do it? And actually, if they do just make a new kind of Banjo-Kazooie style game that's almost exactly the same, but HD, would it be any good? I don't know. Like, I still love Banjo-Kazooie, but... I'm so blinded by nostalgia that there's just a part of me where I feel like when I started looking at the Kickstarter for ukulele, it was a real fight between head and heart of being like, my heart is like, oh yeah, I really want this. But then my head's like, yeah, but it might be rubbish. <laughs> I kind of feel like Goddess has destroyed the naivety from my, oh, this world now, so you sad. know? It's this thing of being like, uh, I, even to be honest, even before Goddess came out, I looked at Goddess and thought, I don't trust that at all because I kind of had this feeling that I thought, I don't think Molyneux is actually very good at making games anymore. And I think he's been cruising on his coattails for a long time. And I kind of feel like Goddess was a pretty good example of that. But 
I also just, this just gives me funny feelings. I just sort of think like, I'm super excited for them and really happy that it's done so well. It's like smashed the targets. It's probably going to continue to do well. I'm really happy that so many people are excited about it, but I don't know. I just get a funny feeling about it. I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. It's just a well, shame. You know what? It's going to get done. It's uh, at 1.3 million pounds now. Wow. Um, past its initial goal of uh, and that's 175. Because awesome, you know? I, uh, I hope it will let them make a brilliant one. And But I, I'm going to treat it like we're talking earlier with, I'm just going to wait till it's out. And like yeah. when it's out, I'll read some reviews. And if people say, hey, if you love these games, you'll love this, then I'll play it. Otherwise, I just won't. But I'm exactly. glad it's getting made, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, you know, it's, I mean, the the first goal, the 175,000 uh, pounds was, you know, it, it's, it was never going to be on that, that the game was riding. No. Um, but now they're getting, they're getting a, a serious amount of money. It's certainly not enough to um, create the game, I wouldn't think, but you know, it's, it's a lot of money and uh, it's going to get made for sure. So You'll be able, having not played uh, Benjo Kazooie ever, I think, um, <laughs> I don't really know what the fuss is about. But anyway, I a lot of it was down to the music, actually. It had fantastic it? music, yeah. Um, so it's just a platformer. It's a 3D world, like platformer thing. Um, and basically, you just explore the 3D world. There are puzzles and there are characters. And they had this thing of like everything in the world had kind of googly eyes. So you have like, you know, signs that have googly eyes and little Christmas presents have googly eyes. So it's this idea of like, Lots of the enemies were like inanimate objects, which were kind of alive and jumping around and stuff. And the, the intro area had like you fighting giant vegetables that had like googly eyes on them, so like carrots and onions. And it was just very right. silly. I get it. Sweet. I think I, I think I understand why I didn't really, I wasn't into it. I think you're just <laughs> young enough that you were young enough to enjoy that game at the yeah, time. And I, I was so. too old and you're probably uh, right. to get or, into it. Or I you might have been in that age where you just go, oh, that looks yeah. like kid stuff. But what was lovely <laughs> is it created this really vibrant world and it felt like the way that the music tied in with it, it kind of felt like um, everything was sort of bobbing along to a beat in a weird way. Um, mm. It's kind of hard to explain, but it just it kind of really brought the world to life and brought the characters to life. And yeah, I've got a lot of fondness for it. There are certain bits of music which are just stuck in my head forever. Um, that just make me incredibly happy just to think of them. So, yeah. Well, I guess I'll be... Uh, we're all lucky because we're going to be able to check out uh, Ukulele uh, when it comes out. I'm glad, though, because I have been saying for about a year, I've been like, where's all the retro love for 3D platformers? Like, <laughs> we've had it, all the other stuff. Like, when are they going to make their comeback? And it's like, and okay, cool. So, yeah. Um, the Last of Us DLC uh, called Left Behind is going to be transformed into a standalone download uh, on May 12th. That's just a week away, uh, more Brilliant. or less. That's wonderful. You know, I got into uh, inf Infamous uh, Second Son through the uh, Infamous First Light DLC, quote yeah. unquote, which was a standalone thing, which was about five hours worth of content, maybe six, and it was 15 bucks, I think. Uh, 15 euros and it was a great little bite size i i think i mentioned on the show um that i possibly could have retroactively made it my game of the year for last year uh specifically that uh dlc mm. and not the entire game because I heard, that. It was, I heard it was better like i heard it was a, a, as a little short snap thing exactly. it was really good because I love the fact it was a, a contained experience that was great. It didn't need to extend itself to, to provide you with content. It was 
well priced and i understand that it wasn't you know necessarily possible to do it like that if it had been uh the only thing that came out with that in of that game uh, that they leveraged um the what the work they had done for the previous one uh, or the for the full game but I, I got into that game because of it and loved the experience. And I did play, um, see, here's an example of a DLC that I adored, uh, The Last of Us Left Behind. I, I loved The Last of Us, absolutely wonderful uh, gaming experience. And when I saw that, was that you know, when they announced the DLC, I was immediately, I, I wanted to play it and, and I bought it when it came out because I wanted more. So it's the perfect example of a, 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 a DLC that just, works perfectly in that uh, in that sense and it, it there it is spoilerish but i think by now if you haven't played the last of us then you're probably not going to be playing it you no. know or you're i mean you i'd know. say if you haven't played the last of us yet and you have any means to do so i actually got a few friends recently who've just been like having their friends lend them their playstation 3 because yeah. people aren't using them very much so it's like hey i just borrow my ps3 and play it because it is such a good game i think it's fantastic but i haven't played left behind and i'm a oh massive, my god you I haven't i haven't but this is great because i'm assuming that this standalone is going to be available on the ps4 right i'm uh, yeah yeah absolutely. so it's great because it means i haven't really got my ps3 about that much i think i left lent my um my normal copy of the game just to a friend to play so i haven't been able to play the dlc because of that um but it's great because it just means now i'll just be able to play the the expansion the dlc on my new console with it all looking super lovely um which is great like yeah, <laughs> and and it's gonna be it's gonna be in the U.S. It's gonna be ten bucks, uh, which is an incredible deal for that. It's about five hours That's worth amazing. of content. I didn't know um, this news. Yeah. This is brilliant. This has made me <laughs> really really happy. Well, there you go. It's uh, I mean I I absolutely recommend it to anyone. Ten bucks, get a short experience of the the Last of Us. You'll see if you like it or not. And even as you know playing it before you play the full game if you're worried that you're going to spoil stuff yes it does spoil stuff but i think it provides a, an interesting look on into that that story and that you're going to piece it together when playing the full game and i think it works like that as well so absolutely immediate recommendation uh for 10 bucks it's a great deal awesome um and finally nintendo has been having better financial results than they thought. And no, it's not because they are selling lots of Amiibos. Well, I'm sure it's part of it, but it's because of the exchange rates that have changed. So I just wanted to mention this piece of news in closing because I wanted to make sure that people understand that my hatred for Amiibos is justified. <laughs> Still, they don't actually... It didn't save Nintendo. Well, okay, I don't hate Amiibos. I just don't get them. But... Um, most of this is because of the, I'm sure Amiibos are, you know, they're selling like hotcakes, so it doesn't hurt, but mostly it's the exchange rate that helps a lot. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, full show that, that was great. Uh, a lot of uh, news, a lot of comments and a lot of things to think about. Uh, hopefully you, everyone listening enjoyed it. Uh, if you did enjoy Matt's banter, uh, please let them know where they can, uh, find out more banter of yours absolutely probably the easiest place to go now is i actually made a proper website which is very professional it's mattlees.com and that's 
Lees, spell L-E-E-S. If you go to mattlees.com, then you've pretty much got all the stuff I do there. I record a podcast of my own called Daft Souls, uh, but I also make YouTube videos, and I also record a bunch of other videos, and I do some board game stuff with Shut Up and Sit Down. I generally do a lot of stuff, but the best place to go to begin with is there, mattlees.com, and you'll find everything else you need to through that. Excellent, mattlees.com. Uh, for me, it's not Patrick on Twitter. Uh, you can also find my show and, uh, uh, well, I guess this show and another one at frenchspin.com. This one comes out twice uh, a month, roughly, and the other one is once a, once a month. Uh, we cover international news, like serious stuff. Uh, you might want to check it out if you're interested in that. Um, you can also leave a comment on the um, website, frenchspin.com. And uh, if you want to leave a comment on iTunes, that would also be very much appreciated. Helps us get a little bit more visibility. And of course, uh, come and tell me what you thought about the show on uh, Twitter. I mentioned it already. It's not Patrick. That is going to be it for us. Always looking uh, for your, looking forward to your feedback. And I will be looking forward to uh, hearing you feedback on the next show which will, which will be out in a couple of weeks. Uh, and in the meantime, I'll spend a lot of time looking at old games and thinking, damn kids, we used <laughs> to do it better. Thanks a lot, everyone. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.